So there's this absolute banger of a movie called The Faculty. It has Elijah Wood in it for you as Frodo. It was super creepy. There was this cocoon and they put it in water and it sprouted all these fucking tentacles. As it grew, it started mimicking the movements of the humans in the room. It like developed its own nervous system. If you haven't seen The Faculty, you should go watch it tonight because that movie, it's so good. The reason why I brought up The Faculty is because today's story is about a band director who eats children. There's a lot to talk about today, but first I want to shout out my friend Sarah real quick. If you have shitty eyebrows, feel free to go see Sarah David at Revolt Tattoos in the Woodlands Mall. She'll clean them right up, make them look nice again. She's done it for me. She's super awesome at what she does. She takes care of my eyebrows and I think they look fabulous. Shit, get a tattoo on your ass while you're in there. She can do your eyebrows and you can get a tattoo on your ass at the same time. I think that's a fucking win-win. So before I read today's story, I had a very generous submission from Rustin Collins. It's a riveting tale of two young men making history at Comanche High School. Alright, so this is the story of two rather large young men who decided that they wanted to race each other to see who would wind up being faster after all these years of knowing each other, and it became known as the Fat and the Furious. So one day, me and Zach, we were sitting in our college English class. We got on the topic of who would be faster if we decided to race. Because growing up, I had always been a little a little smaller than Zach. I'd always been a little faster, a little stronger, just a little more athletic. But I'd gotten out of athletics and quit playing football and really any other sport after my sophomore year of high school. Whereas Zach stayed in all the way through his senior year. So we were sitting there and he was like, man, you haven't done anything in two years. You know, you've gained some weight. He had lost some weight. He was still working out every day. I hadn't touched a weight set in two years. And he was just, he was bound and determined that he was going to wind up being faster than me. And I still said, no, you know, I'm still a little smaller. I still got it in me. You know, I haven't, I haven't lost it that much. I still have it in me. I think I could outrun you. Sure enough, we kept talking about it, and then the whole class got in on the subject. The room was pretty well split. About half the class thought that I would win. About half the class thought that he would win. Eventually, because this was a college class in a high school setting, it was all online. One of our coaches, Coach Friedman, was in there just to make sure that we weren't actually doing our work, make sure that we weren't fucking off anywhere. So he had heard us talking about it. And he didn't really weigh in one way or the other who he thought would win, but he was like, all right, you know, if we're going to take sides, if we're going to keep talking about this, we're going to make it official and we're going to go do this next week. In our minds, we were just going to run a hundred yard dash. That's what we were going to do. Keep in mind, we were both damn near 300 pounds, 260, 280 in that range. There ain't no way in hell we were going to run any longer than a hundred yards. That was, that was what we were going to do. So day of comes about, and Coach Freeman goes, well, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to really do it. Y'all are going to run a 400-yard dash. We said, no, I don't know about that. That's that's a long ways. But he said, nope, that's the only way we're getting out of class. That's the only way we're doing it. So he said, screw it. You know, half the school zone knows about it at this point. A lot of our friends decided that they were going to come out and watch us. So we all head out to the uh, football stadium where the track is, and there's already probably 20 or 30 people out there. And we're just kind of milling around, waiting for some more people to come out, because by that time, probably 50 or 60 people had decided to come out and watch us. 
So we're out there, and I would say that we got ready, but there was no getting ready. We each had a piece of paper with, I think, a number or name on it taped to us, and we should have stretched. We should have warmed up, but we did none of that. For those of you that know, when you run a 400-yard dash, you're supposed to pace yourself. You're supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to go start off at a full-out sprint. But that's what me and Zach did. We didn't know that. We weren't track runners. They told us to go, and we ran like two very chubby bats straight out of hell. We took off full sprint as fast as we possibly could, and that lasted for about 50 yards. But we still had another 350 yards to go, and that was very slow. After the first 50 yards, we were both winded. We were both done. There was no more running in us. So it turned into a very slow jog after that. And at some point, it probably looked like we were speed walking more than anything else. But we finished. I won, thankfully. After all the shit talking I had done, I'm glad I was able to pull that out of the bag. But after we finished, neither of us could breathe. And we were so sick to, so sick to our stomachs that we proceeded to spend the next 30 minutes to an hour puking. I wound up in the ag shop in the bathroom in there puking my guts out, and I felt terrible because Taco Bill, uh, one of our school janitors, he had just finished cleaning that, and I threw up all over the floor, all over the stall, all over the toilet. It was, it was everywhere. I spent a long time dry heaving. It was miserable. And same thing happened to Zach. He made his way to the locker room on the other side of the school. And he proceeded to throw up all over the place in the bathroom in there. Dry heave. Just, we were both miserable. We immediately regretted running that race. And once we were done, we were told by several of the coaches that that was by far the slowest 400 that they had ever seen ran in their life. And honestly... I would probably agree. It was, it was pretty bad to watch. Now, 10 years later, I could probably run it faster. Not that I'm any faster and better shape, but I would pace myself and probably finish it faster. I think, I think both of us were somewhere in the minute 40 to two minute range for a 40 yard dash. And that's almost a minute longer than they should be. (laughs) It was pretty bad. But all in all, it was a fun experience. As far as I know, they continued to do the Fat and the Furious race at Comanche for the next year or two. I think the year after, it was a student and a teacher that did it. Um, I'm not entirely sure how long it lasted. Uh, But I do know that Zach has a younger brother who I want to say he's five or six years younger than us. And when he was in high school, he would hear stories about, you know, these kids mentioning that, hey, did you hear about these two fat kids that decided to run a race and they called it the Fat and the Furious? So I guess that's our legacy that we left at CISD was the Fat and the Furious. But other than that, that's really all there was to it. So I hope you'll enjoy the story. Thank you. Let this be a lesson to all of us. If you're going to leave your mark on this world, make it a skid. Thank you so much for recounting that story, Rustin. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm so glad to have it in the podcast. Now it's my turn. Today, I am reading The Director. 
Mom always leaves cereal out for me like in the movies, except she puts sticky notes on them too. It's sweet, but I don't really eat breakfast anymore since it gives me diarrhea. Today's note reads, I love you so much. Have a fantastic last day of high school. See you at graduation. Love, Mom. She's such a wonderful person. She raised me all by herself, and I've never felt the sting of absence in my life despite not having a dad. I suppose my destiny could have turned out differently had I chosen to resent my mother for my fatherless life. I could be a crackhead who dropped out of school and has three baby mamas. I'd say me being a good and studious kid is largely in part to the community that surrounds me. My band teacher, Mr. Reynolds, has followed me since I learned to play music. When I graduated from 8th grade, he decided to take the band director position at the high school and has always been super supportive of my music. My mom thought he was a pedophile for a while and wouldn't let me take extra practices, which, I mean, can you blame her? Anyway, after a while, she realized he really did just see my potential and let me make the decision for myself whether I wanted to spend all my free time with a grown man or not. I'm pretty grateful to have Mr. Reynolds in my life. He's taught me so much, and he's the reason I'm the musician I am today. I arrive at school, gown slung over my arm and cap tucked under my armpit. My sketchers make that sticky sound on the tile floor. I hate it. All of the underclassmen are in class, so it's quiet. The seniors are meeting in the auditorium for graduation practice at 10 a.m., so I guess I have about an hour to clean out my locker and move all of my stuff to my car. Maybe I'll even be able to squeeze in a few games of Magic the Gathering with the boyos. Lucky Lucker number 34. I jerk it open and drop my cap on the floor, uttering a soft fuck on my way down to pick it up. Then I realize I don't have anywhere to put it yet, so I drop it back on the ground with my gown and roll my eyes. Big tittied anime girls stare back at me seductively from the interior of my locker with their mofangs and short skirts. My friends pull, well, they pull this prank on me where they fill my locker with anime girls because of course I have the locker number 34, i.e. perfect opportunity to employ the wrath of rule 34, which states, if it exists, be there lewd alterations of such. So of course, I can't have a normal number 34 locker, I have to have a lewd one. I tried taking the stuff down and throwing it away, but it always ended up back in there, so I just left it. I have this unfortunate character flaw where I can't open combination locks, so that's why I keep a sock wedged in it. That made it super easy for them to do their dirty work. Imagine taking advantage of a friend so stupid they can't work a combination lock. Pathetic. Not me, them. I retrieve a trash can from the hall and start unloading a school year's worth of garbage into it. Broken pencils, bits of paper, a busted honey packet, some mouse shit, DEAP slips, unfinished homework. I start making a pile of take-homes on the floor next to my cap and gown. I start making a pile of take-homes on the floor next to my cap and gown. My music notebook with all my sheet music, notebooks with doodles, my friends and I did together. Uh, yeah, that's it. Pretty much everything I want to keep is already at home, in my car, or on my person. Oh yeah, I can't forget my ladies. I pull the anime girls off the walls of my locker and toss them in the pile. I'll probably throw them away someday, but I'm a sentimental paper hoarder. I move the trash can back to where it lives and pile my locker contents into my arms. I'm a fucking moron for not bringing my backpack. These anime girls are going to be flying away in the wind like heaven's lost property. The door to the band hall opens nearby, suctioning the air out of the room and simultaneously creating a draft down the hallway that sends my half-naked anime girls flying everywhere. Mr. Reynolds steps into the hall. His gut hangs over his brown pants adjacent to his scruffy black dress shoes he's no doubt had since the 80s. Just beyond the tip of his black shoes, one of my anime waifus with particularly large chesticles gently floats to stop. We make eye contact. 
Then we both look at the waifu. Then our eyes meet again. Mr. Reynolds bends down without breaking eye contact and in a deadpan tone says, this better not be sticky. My mouth twitches. I want to laugh, but you never know what's when someone is joking. And I respect the shit out of Mr. Reynolds. He takes a few steps towards me. You want me to help you carry your stuff out? I stammer and drop some more things. No, um, I got it. The, the anime girls aren't, well, well, I didn't, my friends. It's okay, just go before the principal catches you with them. Mr. Reynolds smirks and sets the anime girl on top of my other things, puts his hands in his pockets, turns, and starts to walk down the hall, whistling what sounds like a Studio Ghibli tune from Spirited Away. The profile of his face appears once more just to say, if you're not too busy after graduation, come see me in the band hall. I have a going away present for you, kid. My friends and I sit on the stage. It's where we've eaten lunch every day since we were 14. It's also where I learned to play Magic the Gathering. I never really felt like I fit in anywhere at school until I found this group. We all decided to take band together. I've always been in band, but not with my friends. By having them join, we discovered Mr. Reynolds likes to play Dungeons and Dragons, so we would play D&D in the band hall during the tutorial period every day. I'm gonna miss these guys, and Mr. Reynolds. He really does feel like a part of the friend group, even if he does dress super whack with all those brown pants and black shoes. Line up alphabetically! Guess it's time to rehearse walking in a straight line. But miss, I'm valedictorian, shouldn't I be in the front? One of the book smart, lacking common sense girls says with a distraught, googly-eyed look on her face as if it's the only thing she will ever achieve in her life, which is sadly true. Just line up, please, the great sponsor says again. The girl with the 4.0's eyes start watering as she frantically tries to get some kind of comfort or reassurance from her not as smart and only mildly attractive compared to her friends. They all gather around her wide-eyed as well, looking around for an answer or something. I don't know, it's tragic to watch and kind of pathetic. Just get in line. The reason they line us up like this is so we're already alphabetized and they can just move the awards people to the front of the line without someone getting confused about the placement. Again, book smart, lacking common sense. The teacher rattles a list of names off while I stand 32nd in line looking through my MTG sideboard to see if I want to supplement any in for my next battle. Okay, this is how you will walk at graduation. Let's do one run through and you can guys can go do whatever. I fake smile as I shake the principal's hand and pretend to grab my diploma. The jocks and preps prolong the experience by pretending to act stupid. Alright guys, you're cut loose for the day. I'll see you back here at 5 for graduation. Don't be late! What happens if we're late, miss? One of the fake edgy girls asks with a smug grin. Well, Caitlin, with the I double Y double N, it would mean you wouldn't get to participate in graduation, the class sponsor responds. I don't care, this is stupid, Caitlin with the I double Y double N mutters. Then go home and don't come back and the school will mail you your diploma. I don't know what else to tell you, Caitlin. Everyone else see you at five. Go home, or whatever. Playing Magic the Gathering and Super Smash Brothers all day was the perfect way to end my last day of school. I wish it hadn't gone by so quickly. As I put my token deck cards back in their box, I can't help but feel a little sad. My friends and I are all going to different colleges. Our lives will undoubtedly end up being vastly different from each other. As much as you want to stay friends with your friend group from high school, it rarely ever happens. I slide the last card in the box and head to my car to put them away. Maybe for the last time. I retrieve my cap and gown and dress clothes my mom picked out for me at Bell's and go to the bathroom next to the auditorium to change. No one ever uses the bathroom. You'd think it was haunted. Perfect place to know about when it's enchilada day at school. 
I pushed the door open to release the waft of ammonia and hot piss stench inside the auditorium bathroom. A girl is snorting coke off the sink. I don't say shit, I just walk into the stall and shut the door. What are you doing in here? She interrogates. Changing for graduation, what are you doing? What's it look like, dipshit? I'm ripping a fat line in the ladies. I'm asking what you're doing in here, because as I said a second ago, I'm ripping a fat line in the ladies. I get it, you do coke. Don't make it a personality trait. Also, this is the little boy's room, girly. No, it's not, she scoffs. Look at the wall. Why? She spits out condescendingly like I'm doing something wrong. I pop my head out the door. Bitch, do you see any tampon candy machines in here? Didn't think so. Maybe next time you should mind your own fucking business because I was gonna let you do your shit and not say anything with your ooh-ooh looking edgelord ass. She looks at the wall and notices where there would be a tampon dispenser. There's a piss-stained urinal with a 20-year-old cake in the drain. Oh shit, I'm so fucking sorry. She starts giggling uncontrollably. I've never been in the, the men's restroom before. Okay. I get annoyed and shut my stall door again. So, what's your name? The girl asks. I can see her dirty converse from under the stall wall. They're covered in sharpie signatures from her friends and her laces are braided. Juvenile. Daniel, I say bluntly. My name's Gabriella, but everyone calls me Gabby. I drop my pants. My belt buckle chings the tile. Uh, alright, well, see you around, Daniel. I see Gabby's feet skip to the door. It swings wide open and she vanishes. I guess my... Belt clacking to the floor was an indication of an impending bowel movement. Maybe she just finally caught on that I don't feel like talking to a girl in the boys' restroom while I'm naked and vulnerable. I finish buttoning up my starched white shirt and slip my khaki pants on and garb up with the cult clothes the school made my poor working-class mother buy for $200. Alright, time to have an over-the-top ceremony for something literally everyone in the United States does. I step into the hall and start hunting for the gaggle of robed teenagers. Well... Some students are in their 20s, but that's none of my business. I see my classmates lining up in the hall outside of the gym. I get in my respective position and listen to some stupid people argue about whose name comes first alphabetically as we didn't just practice this a few hours ago. The class sponsor enters the hall through the gym doors. She's decorated herself in plastic costume jewelry and reeks of old lady perfume. Why is it always a white shirt with a floral blazer and a hippie skirt? She starts droning on about what's going to happen. The line starts shrinking in front of me. I guess it's time. We all enter, single file, and take our seats in our respective orders. The valedictorian is called to give her speech. It starts off normal, but then... My fellow graduates, over the last four years, we have learned a lot. All of this knowledge will no doubt be vulnerable as we go forward in life. But if there's one thing I've learned the most, it's that there has always been one person who has been my rock throughout my entire career as a student. They've given me guidance, encouraged me, and taught me more than any book ever could. That person is me. Oh my god, you've got to be shitting me. She did not just say that. What a narcissist. Uh, thank you, Evelyn. Uh, let's give Evelyn a hand. Everyone in the building is whispering and cracking jokes. Imagine being that oblivious to how much of a shitbag you are. Just as I, too, am giggling, I see that pair of Converse from under the stall in the men's restroom walk past me. It's Gabby. She's carrying an electric guitar. Now, let's give a hand for Gabriella Garcia as she plays and sings for the graduating class of 2011. Gabriella starts the intro to one of my favorite songs. Well, I think it's actually secretly everyone's favorite song. I mean, if you've seen the movie Matilda, then you know the song. On my way. 
On my way, her melodic voice drifts through the gym as the backtrack instrumental plays with her, penny whistle and all. I would like to hold my little hand. Send me on my way. Send me on my way. She even managed to pull off the lilts, you know, like, hoo-hoo. Gabriella drifts the song softly to an end. The whole gym roars and gives a standing ovation. The goosebumps on my arms suddenly make me regret being rude to this girl earlier. She's obviously a divine being I should be simping for. Gabby catches me staring at her. Great, now she's gonna think I'm an asshole and a mouth breather. The slight smile on her face could mean anything. Jesus, I'm a fucking moron. This girl's beautiful. She does dress cringe, though, so I... I'm going to give myself a break on that one. And now introducing the class of 2011. The principal starts rattling off names just like we practiced earlier. Some girls fake fall because they're just quirky like that. The rest of us just grab our diploma, look in any direction for a photo, and walk off the stage. Easy peasy. I see my mom in the crowd, though, so this time my smile is genuine. I love her so much. I can't wait to give her a big hug after the ceremony. Oh, there's Mr. Reynolds, too. He's beaming with pride. His favorite students are graduating. It must be bittersweet for him, just like how it is for our parents. The last name is called, What a wonderful year it has been to have each and every one of you attend to this fine establishment. You will make marks on this world, class of 2011. You may now turn your tassels. Congratulations! We all turn our tassels. Moms cheer at eardrum-bursting octaves. Relatives beam with pride and start hurriedly trying to exit the bleachers to be the first ones to hug their graduate first. Okay, everyone get in the middle of the gym for the hat toss. One, two, three. We all chuck our caps in the air. I don't throw mine very high because I don't want lice and I don't want to look for it amongst the hundreds of others. I scoop my cap off the floor and jet out the door to see Mom. She's waiting at the end of the hall. I can see her bright red lipstick, sparkly jewelry, and pearly white smile. She grins really big and stretches her arms out wide. I've never been embarrassed to hug my mom. A lot of boys, and even men, are weird about it, like they have to act manly all the time. No, hug your mom, damn it. She deserves it. I'm so proud of you, Mom beams. Thank you, but, but honestly, it's not an unachievable accomplishment for literally anyone. You're right, but I'm still proud. Glad I didn't raise a dummy. I love you so much. I love you too. What did you think of that speech? I asked, eyes wide and mouth taut in disgust, showing my teeth for dramatic effect. Her eyes get really wide and she flares her nostrils. It was fucking terrible. Like, you've got to be kidding me. We both laugh loudly. That's exactly what I was saying to myself in my head. That girl is crazy. Well, don't worry. This was the highlight of her life. She just peaked and is destined to work a mediocre job for the rest of her life. You, however, are going to do great things. She pokes my chest playfully. Now let's ditch this joint and go get some Chinese buffet at Pei Pei's walk. Okay, where did you park? I'll meet you outside. I've got to go do something real quick and then I'll be ready. I'll just pull around front. Do I have time to smoke a cigarette or are you going to be quick? No, you've got time to smoke. See you in a minute. Okay, see ya. Gonna go have a smoky treat. I love it when she calls cigarettes smoky treats. I know they're bad for you, but jeez, that is fucking comedy gold. I run down the hall, skirting past other people's relatives on my way to the band hall to say my final goodbye to Mr. Reynolds. Gosh, we really do treat graduation like we're dying. I see Gabby across the sea of people. 
for a moment, I feel like it's an airport scene where I'm supposed to run to her and we change all of our future plans to be together even though we just met. Uh, but I also think that's just an intrusive thought. She's talking to one of her friends, but I can tell she's glancing at me. I smoothly look forward to open the door to the band hall. If I moved my head too fast, it might have looked like I was nervous, which I am, but we've got to play it cool now or she'll never like me. The band hall is dark except for the soft yellow glow of one light on in Mr. Reynolds' office. I see his shadow gently swaying in the consonants of Chopin's Adante. As my shadow approaches his in the darkness, he whispers, I wish I could throw off the thoughts which poison my happiness, and yet I take a kind of pleasure in indulging them. Daniel, do you know who first spoke such words? I'm not sure, Mr. Reynolds. It's the very person who wrote the classical masterpiece. Um, Chopin? I ask tentatively. You've always been my star pupil, Daniel. It fills my heart with sorrow to know you won't be in my classroom next year. Chopin's pleasant notes coax the melancholy from deep within me to the surface. I'll come visit you next year, I promise. It's not that, Daniel. Mr. Reynolds arises from his chair and walks over to his office door. He gently shuts it and turns the lock. What are you doing? I start to panic. Chopin's larghetto bass notes thrum in my skull. I've grown fond of you, Daniel. I'm sorry it has to be this way. But in order to survive and continue this life on Earth... The crescendo of larghetto is in full tilt now. I can feel my heart beating in my teeth to its rhythm. Mr. Reynolds' jaw unhinges like a snake preparing to devour its prey. His body cavity splits open at the seams, busting the buttons on his sweater vest, sending them flying in every direction. Long, spindly glass shards of teeth surround the abyss that is his abdomen. Ultraviolet purple mist swirls in and through itself, surrounding a black orb at the core of the beast. What the fuck? A voice deep and full of robotic soundboard decay and diffusion reverbs off the walls. Swearing is against the rules, Daniel. I piss my pants. It's the most unnatural, supernatural, paranormal, whatever the fuck voice I've ever heard. More frightening than the fucking rabbit's voice in Donnie Darko. The unearthly being's skin bubbles rapidly. Human flesh tentacles in the shape of hookworms rupture from its body. Each end has its own set of glass teeth to masticate whatever is going into its wormy proboscis. They sway to the music. The fathomless voice echoes once more. Music feeds the soul in humans, Daniel. In my species, we need music to breathe, to move, to live. The electronic transmission of music through devices is too diluted to fully satisfy my appetite, so I have to consume the auditory cortex of a gifted human child once a year, or I will cease to be. I raise the potential prodigies like suckling pigs for slaughter, but enough of that for now. Goodbye, Daniel. The proboscis extends menacingly into the air, their orifices widening for consumption. They lurch forward, penetrating my skin with hundreds of razor teeth. The piano blares loudly, discombobulated, fast-paced, the ambiance accompaniment of my death. The door to the room opens. The lump in my throat vanishes as I see a ray of hope for what I thought was my imminent doom. Help, please, fuck, oh my god, please help me. Spittle and tears fly from my visage as I cry and scream for help. Gabby appears in the crack of the now open door. Gabby, run, get help, please, get help. Gabby smiles a saccharine sweet smile and walks toward the abyss of the beast. 
The purple mist agitates the nearer she gets to it. It gravitates toward her and drapes around her body, slowly levitating her into the air. Her head falls back, mouth completely agape, as the blackest black beam of nothingness shoots out and finds its way to the black orb in the cavity of Mr. Reynolds. Her body slowly inverts into an orb itself, starting at the mouth, stretching around the head, then the rest of her body following suit until her body is completely inside out. The black beam, acting as a straw, vacuuming her body into the black sphere. Gabby was my favorite student in 2008. I keep imprints of all of my prodigies inside of my internal portal. After I consume you, a clone will be generated from the memories I obtain. A clone that will live your life. You will live on forever inside of my portal with the other children. The soul never dies, just the vessel in which you were placed. I feel a searing pain in my abdomen. My eyes dart down to witness the atrocity that is the proboscis entering my body through my navel. I can see my blood and fat pulp course through the tubular creature. The medium around me transmits haunting vibrations. My body violently shakes as the grips of death wrap tightly around me. It latches on and grinds away at my skull bones with its sharp teeth. Two proboscis hold me as the other ten proboscis redirect their attention to what the creature truly craves. The flesh of my skull flaps over my eyes. I peer into the translucent, mostly opaque flap filled with veins, shadows beyond it made only visible by the scant amounts of light passing through. One shadow in particular stops inching from my now-mutilated face. It punctures through the skin in one fell swoop, latching onto my left eye. The earth is suffocating. Swear to make them cut me open so that I won't be buried alive. Do you know who first spoke those words, Daniel? Chopin's melody comes to a gentle end as I take my last breath. Guess who's here today? It's me, Ford. I'm back again. We're so happy you could be here because we know you can't always make it because you work so hard to support my deadbeat ass while I sit <laughs> in this room and write in the dark all day. Coming up with some good stuff, though. Yeah, I am. I just wrote a children's book called Bungle the Dung Beetle. Quite excited about it, um... I'm quite excited about it. Quite excited. Why did you say it like that? I don't know. <laughs> you know how men kind of get sweaty and their eyebrows furrow and they have like veins popping out on their forehead when they're angry? Mm, I guess. You've never. Honestly, seen- no. How not the really. Fuck? Okay. We just had this discussion earlier. Ford has had no real life experience. I'm convinced that he's the fucking alien. I've seen his belly button, but. It- like, he's given some major Kyle XY vibes. What are you talking about? What is, what's wrong with my belly button? No, you have a belly button. I'm just saying if you didn't have a belly button, oh, I would believe that proof. you haven't had any human experience like the rest of us. I'm a white kid from the suburbs, so. That makes sense. I'm white trash. It, get, it can get pretty, pretty uh, plain Jane sometimes. I, just I mean, I've had some interesting stuff. Not to say that I haven't had an interesting life, but it's not like, oh, I've been through a plane crash or I mean like the craziest stuff that's happened to me is like oh I stayed home for Hurricane Harvey (laughs) (laughs) like you know uh, the water almost came in my house I don't know I was asking you questions earlier about you know if you ever had any weird teachers and I was super surprised that you hadn't had any because I can Literally count in every grade, I've had a weird fucking teacher. A lot of weird kids. I mean, I had a few weird teachers, none that were, like, necessarily weird as in 
I guess it depends on what you mean by weird. Like, I had some that were goofy, weird, like fun, but none that were creepy weird and did, like, odd or awkward stuff. That At least that I can remember off the bat. If there were any experiences that I had like that, I feel like they would pop in pretty quickly. But I had some goofy ones. Mm. You, you never had anybody put their balls in your face? Nope. Not really. Not At least I've completely closed those thoughts out of my brain <laughs> if I did. <laughs> we Everybody in Comanche knows who I'm talking about if they listen to the story. Because we have <laughs> that teacher who put his balls in our face. Not in the sense that you're thinking, but he would hike his leg up on our desks with his coffee cup. And his balls would just... I mean, like his... His pants, his crotchular area was just crotchular. way too close to your face. And I had another teacher who was every day, it was like trauma dumping. Every day she would talk about her husband's diverticulitis. Yeah, I probably skipped that class. You can't. It was in eighth grade, maybe seventh grade. What do you mean you can't? You were skipping class in seventh and eighth grade. Once or twice I got in trouble for it, but I did it. Dang. Dang. <laughs> Bad boy. No wonder you were a quarterback. And then of course I stopped Mr. in high Perfect school. Mr. Perfect never had anything weird happen to him. So tell me about Satan. Well, I went to school with Satan. No, tell me about the Satan kid. Yeah, that's what I meant. We go way back. All right, elaborate, bitch. <laughs> Don't say tell me about Satan. Tell me, say, tell me about the satanic killing. Oh, tell me about the satanic. <laughs> said, tell killing. me about Satan. You should have been prompted just by the word. So I went to high school with a kid and middle school, actually, for that fact, uh, for that matter, matter of fact. And wait, start that sentence over. I, that's hard to edit. I'm serious. I, <laughs> I did it on purpose. So that would be funny. Oh. <laughs> I went to high school with this kid that committed satanic murder. Um, him and. One of his buddies left a high school party, took this girl back to an abandoned apartment, and they, I guess they did the whole satanic star thing with the circle and some oh, candles. they drew a pentagram? And, yeah, a pentagram, and stabbed her, hit her with a toilet seat and shit, murdered her, and then uh, in court, the guy that did it confessed and said that he was possessed by the devil to do it, and that... If he, he had sold his soul to the devil, then he was trying to convince his friend that if he murdered this girl, that um, he would be able to sell his soul to the to the devil as well. That's super fucking creepy. Pretty bizarre, because I had multiple classes with this kid throughout middle school and high school. Did you get any weird vibes from him? Yeah, he was he was really quiet. You know, you never expect for somebody that you know that close. Not like I was super close with him, but... You know, I had definitely yeah, to talked him. to him and, and you know, interacted. interacted with him plenty of times. Yeah, to hear that kind of news. And it's like he just one of those kids that he was a kind of a ghetto kid. And so, like, I know he was skipping school pretty early on. And so, like, he was one of those people that, you, you know, as you get a little bit older, you start seeing him dip in and out of school a little bit more. You see him every once in a while. And then all of a sudden, you don't see him for a long time. And then you hear some shit like that on the news. And you're like, oh, you've been in jail. For the past six months and six months and in court because you murdered someone because you sold your soul to the devil and we're trying to convince your buddy to do the same. Do you think it was drug related? Possibly. I mean, I can't say for sure if he was doing any type of drugs at that age. But his I home life was probably was, really bad, huh? 
No, I don't. I have no clue what his home life was like. Oh. He was just a ghetto Hispanic kid. Well, just describe his appearance to me, because I like. I'm super curious to know. <clears throat> you know. Usually, you can tell by the way people dress. He had baggy pants, big shirts, white shoes. I mean, he would just. Mm. Just a typical ghetto dress. I mean, it wasn't anything in particular that he wore that, like, stood out from the rest or anything like that. But, you know, just baggy clothes in general. It's always the one you don't never expect. Mm-hmm. Ones that blend in. <laughs> yeah, because actually I wouldn't expect that from somebody from wearing that kind of garb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know too much backstory about him. And I don't want to put misinformation about there about him. You know, I don't know what his backstory was, how his home life was, or if he was abusing drugs or doing drugs at all, for that matter. But, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, I mean, he must must have been into some deep kind of shit. If you think that you're doing a satanic ritual because you're selling your soul to the devil, that kind of just shouts drugs, not to taint his his reputation, but I think he's already done that. (laughs) That was a good story. Thanks. So, wait, so nobody told y'all at school you just found out through the news? Yeah, there was no, like, school announcement. I mean, then again, it's like, you got to think, we went to a 5A, 6A school. Well, not even, like, an announcement. I'm just saying, like, nobody knew where this kid went. They were just like, well, I guess he moved. I mean, I can't say that nobody knew where he went. But, I mean, it's hard to say for me because it's like my, I had 500 kids in my grade, 500 plus kids in my grade. So, it's like, I didn't, there were some kids that I probably never even met. Do you have any kind of stories like that? Any kind of crazy Murders? Murders or anything like that from high school? No, actually, I didn't experience anyone getting murmured. (laughs) (laughs) No murmur me. (laughs) There were no murmurs. Well. Or like any stabbings. We had a stabbing. Well, not at my school, but there was another kid that got stabbed in the neck with a pencil, I think, or a pair of scissors. God damn. At uh, Brook High School. Our high school... I feel like it was pretty clean cut. They it was very curated. The bad seeds got sent to a different school. We didn't keep the potential threats around for very long. And there was another kid too that some other kid was pissing him off, and we were in the football locker room. I didn't see it happen, but uh, the coaches came and fucking grabbed him right after he grabbed one of the you know those master lock combinations that everyone used to have on their mm-hmm. lockers and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So we had those in the football locker rooms too, and he put it put the lock in his palm and put the the loop of the lock around his knuckle and punched the shit out of this kid in the face. Busted like his shit open. Made, makeshift brass knuckles. Yeah, makeshift brass knuckles. And Was the other kid okay? I think so. Eventually. <laughs> Not in the moment. Long story short, Ford was acquainted with a murderer and had no weird teachers. Except for one that every once in a while would go, no. <laughs> Tell me about that one. I don't know. He was just really cool. He was just a funny, interesting guy. He was younger. I think he just really enjoyed the subject naturally. Mm-hmm. So you could tell he had a little bit of passion. He enjoyed being around kids. He was still a little bit childish himself, but he was still like a fully functional adult. Like you can tell when you have some substitutes and teachers that looks like you're more of a fucking kid than you are a teacher. Yeah. This guy was... He was really smart, but he was also goofy. He would always mess around with us. And, you know, if someone asked him a goofy question or something like that, he would reply in those kinds of ways. Oh, he was super literal. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he just made the subject fun. Uh, It was just an amazing class. It was so much fun looking back on it. I just wish I could have more memory, more clear memories on it because 
I mean, it was just really enjoyable and fun. Funny, funny, uh, a lot of funny interactions between all the uh, kids and, and teacher. Oh, isn't it so nice when you have teachers like that? Mm-hmm. Do you think he was an alien? Maybe. He was ripped, nerdy. He was ripped? Yeah, dude. He. I have like pictured in my head now that he's hot. No. No, I mean, he was a decent looking guy, I guess, but he wasn't like jacked, but he was, he worked out. Muscular? Yeah. Fit. Fit. Handsome. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. Oh. <laughs> we had one of those. Oh, really? I only remember his first name for some reason. Yeah, did you date him? Mm. <laughs> no, he was married. <laughs> no, we had this coach that was just super fucking jacked. He was super buff and he was really young. He was just handsome. Everybody, even the boys commented on how nice his ass was. He wore these really tight khaki pants. It was just ass cheeks were just so there. Nice cheeks, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Everybody talked about those cheeks. <laughs> Didn't matter what your gender was. Now that's a sweet ass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap this shit up. I'm tired. All right, what were you going to say? If you're going to poop on the world, make it a skid mark? If you're going to shid and fard, do it in someone else's pants. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> it's not inspirational. You just could follow us on Instagram, you lazy bitches. Like my posts, it makes me feel dejected when nobody likes them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll start posting more pictures of Ford. I know he's the attractive one with the better personality and the curly, cute hair and the, oh, shucks. And the hazel eyes and the pretty smile. Tight butthole. And the tight, tight little butthole. <laughs> Catch you next time. Maybe I'll be a special guest. Yeah, I hope you can make it next time. Next Friday, Flash Fiction Friday, I'm going to be reading a story called MLM. So be sure to be there or be square. <laughs>